Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. This week, I'm going to be talking about someone that everyone knows, but not everyone knows a lot about. We knew him from The Princess Bride, from his wrestling career. He was born Andrei Rusimov and is more widely known by his stage name of Andre the Giant. So Andrei René Rusimov was born in France, but he's actually not of French descent. His father had immigrated to France from Bulgaria, and his mother was actually a Polish immigrant to France. He was born near Paris and grew up in Moulin, France, which is a farming village roughly 40 miles outside of Paris. He was born on May 19, 1946, and he was one of five children to the couple. His father was named Boris, and his mother was Marianne. He had two older siblings, Antoine and Helene, and two younger siblings, Marisette and Jacques. All of them grew up in this farming village 40 miles outside of France, which I mentioned was named Moulin. Wasn't a very large village, and though he started off as what I assume at the time would have been your typical boy growing up in a farming village, at a certain point as he got older, they did notice that he kept growing. He didn't stop growing. And unfortunately, being in a more rural area, he wasn't diagnosed by the doctors at the time with the health condition that would ultimately cause him a lot of pain and also make him the giant that we knew growing up. The giant that he became was because of this same disorder called acromegaly. When he first started working on the farm after leaving school at about 11, he actually was already six feet tall and the size of a grown man. So at this point, the acromegaly had already made him larger than he should have been for his age. And a few years later, when he was about 18, was when he first met a local wrestling promoter. Not surprisingly, that wrestling promoter basically saw dollar signs, because this kid, he's 18, he's huge, already over six feet tall, and... Despite his size, he had good mobility. He was able to move around and do a lot of things. So they started touting him around Paris and taught him the basic wrestling moves to get him started. And he used the stage name at the time. And I don't speak French, like I've mentioned in a previous video, so probably saying this wrong. But he used the stage name of Jean Ferre. Or Ferre. I don't, I don't know which one you say. And... His name was based off of an old French folk hero known as uh, the Grand Ferret. It's like the, the giant ferret. The Grand Ferret is the um, translation that I could find. At this point, he also started traveling around Europe and doing wrestling promotions and wrestling events in different areas. And then in 1966, he met Frank Valois, who was a Montreal-born wrestler and promoter. They ended up becoming really good friends, and for a long time, Valois was his most trusted advisor and business manager and the one that really was helping to guide him through everything. 
he also met Lord Alfred Hayes, who was a British rush, British wrestler. That's hard to say. British wrestler. He was a British wrestler, and he also was a future commentator for the World Wrestling Federation, which would later become the World Wrestling Entertainment Network. In 1969, Andre began wrestling in Japan. And it was actually here that he was first diagnosed with the acromegaly. Acromegaly is a rare hormonal disorder, and it's generally caused by a benign tumor inside the pituitary gland. What happens is this tumor in the pituitary gland causes the body to produce way more growth hormone than it's supposed to. And it causes it to continue producing that growth hormone even after the growth plates have fused, which is usually when we would stop growing. So basically, Andre's body just had kept growing and growing and growing because his body's growth hormone levels were too high. So it felt like it needed to keep growing. Now, generally, these tumors nowadays can be removed. Sometimes there's a radiation treatment to make sure it's completely gone, things like that. But at the time, he was already so far into it that, and at, you know, it was 1969, they didn't have the same capabilities we do now. He'd already been dealing with it for so long that there wasn't anything the doctors at the time could do. They couldn't really go in and remove the tumor anymore. They couldn't do the radiation treatment or anything that we have now. So unfortunately, he just had to live with it. But they also, because of the issue, were able to tell him that his life expectancy was short. He knew in 1969 that it was unlikely he would live too much past 40 years old. And I can only imagine how devastating that would have been to learn at such a young age. Because in 1969, he was only 23. He was born in 46. He was 23 years old and found out that he wasn't going to live much past 40 based off of what the doctors knew of his disease. But he loved wrestling and he loved the, the rush. He liked performing for everyone, doing these moves, showing himself to be the, the person that he was, the big giant that everyone knew him to be. He also continued wrestling all over the world. He wrestled in Japan, as I was mentioning. That's where he was diagnosed with the acromegaly. He also wrestled in New Zealand in 1969. And he had different names he went by in some of these different areas. Um, in Japan, he was called Monster Rusimov in 1970 when he wrestled there and won the International Wrestling Enterprises World Tag Team Championship. Where he, when he partnered with Michael Nador and they defeated two of the Japanese wrestlers named Thunder Sugiyama and Great Kusatsu in Fukuoka, Japan. When he wrestled in New Zealand in 1969, they actually called him the Monster Eiffel Tower, seeing as how he was from France. So he had a lot of different names at this point. They didn't have a specific title for him yet. He hadn't stuck on his moniker of Andre the Giant that would then follow him throughout his life. He still had a, a few different options at this point that he played around with a lot. It wasn't long after that when his career started to pick up a little bit. I mean, when you're over seven feet tall and just this huge muscle-bound wrestler, people are going to notice you. It's going to 
you're an attraction. They're going to see you. They're going to want to see you. And he actually went to Canada and started competing at the Grand Prix Wrestling, where they would really tout him up. He was the eighth wonder of the world. He was in all these huge wrestling matches against these big names like Killer Kowalski and the Butcher Vachon, which I might be saying wrong, so sorry. But he was, you know, he was a novelty. He, Everyone loved seeing him wrestle, but the market unfortunately became oversaturated for him. Everyone at a certain point knew him, had seen him. He wasn't the attraction he was. So he noticed that the money had started to decline in terms of how much he was getting. The promoters weren't wanting to book him as often. They couldn't find as many good, viable opponents for him either because he was such a big guy and so powerful that you had to really team him up with the right opponent. Otherwise, it wasn't going to be a good show. He'd been wrestling in Japan at the same time as Giant Rusimov, and he'd also done some work in America, but just not quite as much. And one thing that was really interesting that I learned when I was doing all of my research for this particular episode is that back before the World Wrestling Federation started, it was actually more of a separated out system for the way the wrestling worked. So people would still travel from place to place and do all of these big shows, but each territory had their own sort of ruling body of wrestling they had their each territory had sort of their own business that ran the wrestling promotion in that area so even though andre had been into a few of the northern territories venturing there from france he hadn't really gone all over the country as much and he was still really popular though everyone knew who he was because again he's this huge wrestler how can you miss him he was 1971's Rookie of the Year in the Wrestling Yearbook that printed in 1972. And he had various gimmicks and a lot of different feuds with various people over the years. One thing that actually started to formulate one of his uh, key moves was in 1972, he had a feud with Mormon giant Don Leo Jonathan. And in that particular wrestling match, he actually lost his temper a little bit, whether on purpose or for show, little unclear, but he wrapped his hands around Jonathan's throat. He wasn't actually going to strangle him, obviously, but it was more of a show of strength and of size because Andre's hands were so big that they completely wrapped around Jonathan's throat without a problem. And it went on to become a signature move and gimmick that he used for the rest of his career. It was also around this time that he started to venture more into the U.S. to do more wrestling competitions in the U.S. And Frank Valois, who was still with him, still promoting him, contacted Vince McMahon of the World Wrestling Federation. So the original one, not Vince Jr., who's running everything right now, but Vince Sr., who had started it all. And they contacted him because he was known for being a great booker. He was really good at promoting his wrestlers and booking the shows. So what McMahon did first, one of the, well, one of the first things he did at least, was change the way that Andre wrestled. So at, up until that point, Andre had been wrestling with basically all of his ability. Despite his size, he was very mobile. He was really good at 
jumping around the ring, doing kicks, being, you know, he was very, very athletic, even though his size could be somewhat of a hindrance. And what Vince McMahon Sr. did is had him change that and make himself, portray himself as immovable. This is Andre the Giant. You can't move him. He's too big. He's too strong. He's not going anywhere. And they really started pushing that and premiered that on March 26th, 1973. And immediately that took off. Andre became a huge sensation right away. And he was such an attraction that it was really easy for McMahon to keep moving Andre from town to town, territory to territory. Because if he spaced him out and spread him out and had him go to all these different areas and all these different territories, it helped prevent oversaturation, which meant that Andre was always an attraction, always a draw, always popular, because not everyone saw him all the time. It was a better way to do it in order to make sure that he maintained his attraction status, maintained his appeal to everyone. They also started doing a lot of wrestling matches where he was handicapped or where it was more of a battle royale. So it might be Andre against two people or Andre and a partner against, you know, three or four people, things like that, just to showcase how strong and how big Andre was by making him handicapped in a match against someone else. This all continued throughout the early 70s. He partnered with different people. He wrestled with different people. At a certain point, um, he stopped working with Valois directly, and McMahon assigned him another trusted associate to help manage his career, Arnold Scoland. And they, they actually ended up becoming really close friends. But in 1976, he actually had his first acting debut. Now, it wasn't a big role, but he played a Sasquatch on the $6 million man TV show. So he was in a full-on suit, you know, dressed up like a Sasquatch, fighting against the $6 billion bionic man who, you know, is supposed to be ridiculously strong and everything also. That was actually his very first acting role. And from what I've found online, it sounds like it's actually a very popular episode for people who like the show because you got to see the $6 billion man fighting this larger-than-life Sasquatch. Literally Bigfoot. Andre got to play Bigfoot. His popularity continued to grow. He was, you know, a very well-known wrestler and then now doing some early acting at that point. Everything like that just served to increase his popularity. He also, in 1977, was named Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Most Popular Wrestler. His career continued to be a strong one. He had feuds with various wrestlers throughout the years. And then in 1983 and 1984 is when the World Wrestling Federation really started to become this big thing that it we now know it to be that was when mcmahon jr who's now the one running things that we know vince mcmahon jr he started to talk to the usa tv network and started showing the wrestling matches on tv vince mcmahon jr had also been the one who started to incorporate the world wrestling federation and really kind of swallow up other territories he stopped 
sending his wrestlers to different territories and started just adding to his grouping. And that's what ultimately started to become the World Wrestling Federation and later the World Wrestling Entertainment Network that we know now. This meant that Andre, instead of being sent all over the country to the different territories, was still wrestling against a lot of good wrestlers, but wasn't being sent out. He was wrestling more in-house, or people were coming to them. And from what I read, it didn't sound like that was his favorite thing. He really liked getting to travel. He liked getting to see people. But nonetheless, that did ultimately become this huge wrestling industry that we now know. In 1984, Andre actually did two movies. He did Mickey and Maud, and he also was in Conan the Destroyer. Although his role in Conan the Destroyer was uncredited, he actually played the god Dagoth with the skull and, you know, the huge guy. That was Andre the Giant. His career continued to be a strong one in the wrestling community, and in 1985, WrestleMania came out, the first big, big WrestleMania from the WWF. And it was hugely popular, and they had different matches going on in in different major cities. Andre headlined in Chicago and was up against 19 other people in a 20-man battle royale, which Andre won. So he was the winner of one of the WrestleMania competitions. But it was also around this time that his health really started to get worse. He started to feel more of the aches and pains of his disease. He started to feel more of the discomfort. And it started to cause him more problems. And he really had to start looking at what he was going to do in terms of how he could make himself still wrestle but not get injured as often. At this point, I'm going to pause for the little ad money break in the middle And then I'll be back with more information about the rest of Andre's wrestling career, as well as information about that movie that we all love so much, Princess Bride, and his role in that. Okay, everyone, so this week I'm going to talk about two of our Nerdsmith shows that I really think everyone should check out. Now, the first one, I'm a little biased because I'm in it, but I still think it's a good show, and that is The Shenanigans, which is an actual play D&D podcast. We're using D&D 5e, and it's set in the homebrew world of Vale. So you can check that out at nerdsmith.org. I highly recommend it. We have some interesting hijinks, and as the name you know, sort of hints, we get into a lot of different shenanigans. You can find it on iTunes or any other place that you download podcasts. You can also find it at nerdsmith.org. The second show that I want to talk about today is called WAND Radio. Now, for anyone who hasn't heard this show already, I highly recommend it because it's hilarious. It is featuring three characters, Calliope, Emmett, and Rupert. They're at a college radio station for a magic college and they answer your questions give advice and just generally have a really good time both of these shows can be found anywhere that you download your podcasts itunes any other website any other app that you use and they can also be found on our website nerdsmith.org and i highly recommend that you check both of them out
Andre continued his very popular and illustrious career after WrestleMania in 1985. He had a lot more matches, unfortunately also took a lot more injuries, and also was feeling more of the pain from his disease in general. But he did do something that he was very proud of, and that I think most of us here listening to this probably enjoy a lot, which is The Princess Bride. It premiered in September of 1987, and according to one of Andre's closest friends, Tim White, he was super proud of it. He also, according to another wrestler, uh, loved watching it. He'd watch it every day. He was so proud of his performance. He'd been nervous about it because he wasn't really an actor. At least he didn't see himself that way. And he... It was so critically acclaimed. Everyone loved his performance, seeing the gentle giant on screen. And so he actually watched it a lot. One person even said that they watched it every day while they were on tour in Japan together. And for some people, it was a side of Andre they'd known for a long time. His friends in the wrestling community and his buddies that he'd grown up with and spent time with they all knew him as this gentle giant because the general consensus from everything I found and some of the interviews and commentary that I read in the book I used all talked about how if he was your friend he had your back he was a great guy a big lovable giant in the wrestling ring if he didn't care for you you knew But he wasn't vindictive. He wasn't cruel. He didn't go after anybody. He didn't use his strength to seriously injure anybody. He would just make sure that if he didn't care for you, he put you through your paces and you damn well knew that you were not on his favorites list. But if he was your good friend, if he liked you, he had your back and he would help promote you and help make you an even more memorable wrestler. He'd give you a memorable match, make sure you had a really good bout with him. It was also after WrestleMania in 1985 that because of his health, they tried to figure out a way to get Andre to be able to be on screen, still be wrestling, but not have to be quite as athletic, not have to do quite as much. One of the ways they did this is that they turned him from what's known as a baby face. So one of the hero type wrestlers, they turned him from that into a heel, which is what the villains basically are referred to so he'd always been a baby face he was a big gentle giant until you messed with him or made him angry he was very you know honorable and they started slowly turning him into more and more of a heel making people dislike his character and they did this in particular by putting him up against hulk hogan who was a hugely popular wrestler at the time Hulk Hogan was a babyface. He was playing the good guy, and they had Andre play his heel. So they were going up against each other, and one of the ways it culminated was in WrestleMania 3, where Hogan won the match. Hogan defeated Andre the Giant. He actually slammed him, like body slammed him, which is insane because Andre was huge and weighed a ton, but somehow they did it. And that was also when they really passed the torch from Hogan to, or excuse me, they passed the torch from Andre to Hogan to become really the big babyface 
person, the, the main attraction. Andre still wrestled and everyone still loved him, but he needed to back himself out a little bit in order to not cause himself even more injury. And in 1987, he was actually the most hated wrestler because he'd become so successful at his job of portraying himself as this awful person. This allowed him, though, as a heel to have more people back him up. So they could make it look like he was getting attacked or beat up on or something. And instead of him having to wrestle his way out of it himself, his friends, his backup would come show up and help him. And so that made it easier on him as a wrestler so that he could still be out there. But he wasn't taking the same amount of injuries. And these sort of storylines continued for quite a while. They had him play the heel because it was a way for them to keep him relevant, to keep him in there. He still got to be the big immovable giant and he still wrestled, but he wasn't having to be quite as active because he either had tag team partners or he had other villains, other heels coming in to help him to fight against people, making it an unfair match, but Andre would win and get away and not be injured. They used this as a way also to decrease his involvement so that he could have time to recuperate. After WrestleMania V in April of 1989, he actually had an even more decreased involvement in the main storylines because of his injuries, because of his pain. So they still had him out there, but again, just they kept decreasing how much he was out there in order to help prevent him from injury. And this was especially important because at this point his disease had progressed so far and he was in so much pain that he actually was barely walking by mid-1989. He would walk outside of the ring and, you know, up to the ring, but other than that he really wasn't doing a lot outside of that because he just couldn't. And one of his friends even mentioned, again in the book I used, that he had to push him in a wheelchair through the airport because he was just so injured and in so much pain and that it really hurt him to see his friend that way because Andre was always so bigger than life. Bigger than life to the point where he, I mean, he drank a lot. And part of it was because of the pain he was in from everything that was happening. One of the stories in the book I used mentioned actually that Someone who he wasn't a super big fan of initially was trying to get in his good graces. So they gave him a case, 12 bottles of his favorite wine. And before they had finished their bus ride to the next stop, Andre had finished those 12 bottles of wine. And he wasn't drunk. He was, you know, probably very happy, but he wasn't actually drunk. He wasn't fall down drunk. He drank 12 bottles of wine and he was okay because he was so big and his body processed everything so quickly or so differently because of his size that he was fine. So he, he lived life and there are a lot of people who feel that part of the reason he probably partied so hard and did so much is because he knew he didn't have that long and he wanted to enjoy what time he had. Andre continued wrestling after WrestleMania V, and his last televised wrestling match was actually WrestleMania VI. He was in a tag team with another member. They made this big show of him getting injured and also getting kicked out, quote-unquote, of his wrestling family, of the heels, the villains. 
and he still wrestled, but he did it a lot less. He wasn't on the on television at that point. He was wrestling um, somewhat in Japan, and in 1991, he actually had a staged attack. So it was, you know, a planned attack on his knee so that he could take a couple months off because he just needed the time. He needed the break. In SummerSlam of 1991, it was his last official match before retiring. And he even continued wrestling after this, but this was his sort of official, quote-unquote, retiring match. And he still worked in Japan, and he made occasional appearances here and there, but not as many. Again, sort of starting to work himself out of it to try to avoid more injury. And that continued up until 1992, really, when he still was making appearances, but not wrestling hardly at all. Then he got the news that his father was dying, and he jumped on a plane and flew back to France to be with his family. His father, Boris, died on January 15th, 1993, and Andre stayed. He stayed in France. He spent time there to visit with friends, see his family, you know, just spend time recuperating and dealing with the fact that his father had just passed away. And a couple of weeks later, on January 27th, 1993, Andre himself passed away. He went to his hotel that night, and the next morning when his chauffeur came to get him, there was no answer. They got into the hotel room and discovered that at some point during the night, Andre had passed away. He was 46 years old, so he made it a few years longer than the 40 that were given to him by the doctor when he was diagnosed, but not by much, unfortunately. And also, unfortunately, his final wishes weren't able to be completed 100%. He had wanted to be cremated pretty much right away. He'd wanted to be cremated. And unfortunately, there were no crematories in Europe, or at least none nearby, close enough that could actually accommodate a man of his size. So he ended up having to be sent to the U.S. to be cremated, and his ashes were spread on his ranch in North Carolina. Later in 1993, the World Wrestling Federation opened its Hall of Fame for the first time, and the only inductee, their very first, was Andre the Giant. Someone who'd been loved by both the fans and his fellow wrestlers had passed into the histories of the World Wrestling Federation, but would not be forgotten. There's a lot of random side stories and, you know, cute little anecdotes in the book I used. I would highly recommend that anyone who wants to learn more about Andre and his life and also would like to know more about his wrestling matches, because this book actually gives a lot of play-by-plays, which was cool. It's called Andre the Giant, A Legendary Life by Michael Krugman, K-R-U-G-M-A-N. I got it off of Amazon. Not super expensive, easy to find. It's actually also published by the World Wrestling Entertainment Company. So there's a lot of anecdotes and quotes and commentary from other wrestlers, from you know everybody from Hulk Hogan to Shane McMahon, uh, Vince McMahon Jr.'s son. Stephanie McMahon also has some commentary in there talking about how she knew Andre as a child and just really loved him and considered him a really good friend and things like that, that you're not going to find, you know, just Googling it on the internet. It's not going to show up. 
I did also find out when after I had started researching for this particular episode that HBO is doing a big documentary on Andre the Giant. It's set to release April 10th, so it's coming up pretty soon. And I saw the trailer for it. There's supposed to be a lot of commentary from his fellow wrestlers that knew him, Vince McMahon, you know, the whole McMahon family, everybody is doing interviews for it. So I would highly recommend that anyone who wants to learn more and would prefer a video format as opposed to a book, check out that documentary when it comes out in April. Well, this has been this week's episode of Geek Thyself. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you liked learning about Andre the Giant He really was a gentle giant from everything I could find. Everyone that knew him loved him, and he was generally considered to be a very sweet man despite his intimidating size. I also found in multiple places the, and I've seen this story online before, but it was confirmed by books and other research I did that he, you know, he used his size to also help the people he cared about. During the filming of Princess Bride, the weather was so changeable that the Robin Wright playing Princess Buttercup would get cold and Andre would put his hand on top of her head to try to help keep her warm. Because his hand was so big, he could cover the entire top of her head. Things like that that just show, despite his size, despite the fact that he knew he was different, he loved those around him and he used his size to benefit them the best he could, the best he knew how. And with that, we're going to call this week's episode done. If you want to do more research on your own, like I said, I highly recommend checking out that book I used that I got from Amazon. There were a few others, but this one definitely has a lot of really good information. And especially if you are a bigger fan of him because of his wrestling as opposed to his acting, then I would recommend checking this out because... There is so much information in this book. It it has articles talking about the different wrestling matches. It does play-by-plays of this is how he wrestled this person. There was so much information that I could not fit it all into the podcast. But if that's something that interests you, I definitely recommend you check it out. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself.